The opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the Tippecanoe County Partnership for Water Quality or its partnering organizations. For more information on the TCPWQ and its work, visit our website at tcpwq.org. The TCPWQ presents Rain, Drains, and Bioswales, a podcast dedicated to educating the community on water quality issues. This episode highlights how the introduction of invasive species disrupts our natural communities. Invasive species are non-native plants, animals, or microbes that spread aggressively, replacing native organisms and posing serious threats to human health and well-being, the environment, or our economy. To learn more about this topic, I've invited our county's invasive species technician, Jordan Young, to the pod. Jordan shares about invasive plants, her role, and ways we're working to eradicate invasive plants from our county. Jordan's a hoot. Here's our interview. Hey, Jordan, would you mind introducing yourself and sharing about your position? Okay. <laughs> um, I'm Jordan. I am invasive species technician at Tippecanoe County Soil and Water Conservation District. So I'm actually a contract employee. Um, I have three years on my grant and I'm part-time. So it's a newish position, grant funded? Yes, it was funded by Clean Water Indiana. So they gave us money for well, to pay me for my work, but also for a cost share program for removing invasives. The Clean Water Indiana program was established to provide financial assistance to landowners and conservation groups. The financial assistance supports the implementation of conservation practices, which will reduce non-point sources of water pollution through education, technical assistance, training, and cost sharing programs. It's administered by the Division of Soil Conservation under the direction of the State Soil Conservation Board. We have our brand new weed wrangle kit, which will be available for borrowing at some point. Um, So what has it been like coming into something that's brand new? Hard. (laughs) There's a lot that needs to be done, and I just keep coming up with more stuff to do for myself, which is not necessarily a good thing. Um, Especially being part-time. Yeah. That seems like it would be hard. I'd try to squeeze it in, you know, prioritize. Well, prioritize my deliverables first. I have to do a certain number of EDMAPS reports um, so we get a good idea of what kind of invasive species are in the county how widespread they are, and also just to gather data on that because EDMAPS data is used for, you know, convincing people to enforce regulations or come up with bans on species. But apart from EDMAPS, I also do site visits. Property owners can have me out just to look at what they have going on and figure out what kind of plants they have, I write a management plan based on their needs and what they want done with the property, specific site conditions to say, so this is what I found and this is what you can do about it. 
EDMAPS stands for Early Detection and Distribution Mapping System. EDMAPS is a web-based mapping system for documenting invasive species and pest distribution. EDMAPS' goal is to maximize the effectiveness and accessibility of the immense numbers of invasive species and pest observations recorded each year. As of March 2023, EDMAPS has over 7.5 million records. Jordan has organized an upcoming workshop where anyone can learn about EDMAPS and how to use it. We will have Amber Slaughterbeck from Sikkim, the State of Indiana Cooperative Invasives Management, and she'll be talking about EDMAPS and how it's kind of a platform for gathering data on invasive species. And it could really be any species up and coming too, because you can report anything you find. But it's really helpful because you can actually produce a map of where we're finding these species and give details like site conditions and well, I guess how much area the species covers and what kind of what it's doing in that area. And you have photos, so it's a nice reference for looking at the variations in invasive species because they don't all look the same. You can't look at one picture. And also, unlike iNaturalist, this is something that has to, your reports have to be verified by a professional. Oh, okay. Yes. So it's not much of a community-based um, verification system. It's an actual professional who has experience. And so it's probably going to be the right determination of what species that is. So does Ed, EdMaps have like staff that are the people responsible for checking or do you know how that part works? I think it's mostly volunteer based. I see on the reports that I make a lot of the verifiers are familiar names of people who've been working with plants for a long time, especially invasives. Okay. What do you love about your job? I love getting to educate people on invasive species and telling them things that they've probably never even thought of or heard before because it's a totally different world once you think about it. Probably three or four years ago, I had no idea. And I just, you know, if you're driving down the highway and it's covered in honeysuckle on both sides, I didn't even know. But now I cringe exactly. every day when I drive to work. Exactly. Yes. It really ruins things. Yes, it does. Especially springtime. Yes. Sad. Yeah. But I love being able to educate people and then having them do something about it so they can return things to what they should be. And we have a bunch of native plants come up and native animals who've evolved with those plants benefiting from that and I have flowers are pretty what's the hardest part of your job sometimes it's convincing people that something is bad when they really don't want to believe it mm -hmm. I've experienced somebody asking questions about something and I tell them okay so this is actually what that plant is and they say are you sure? Because I don't think so. Ooh. Well, 
I'm sorry that you feel that way, but I'm going to give you all the information I can to show you that what I'm saying has some truth to it, and I will let you draw your own conclusions. But yeah, convincing people of something that they haven't even thought about before or been educated on, period, is extremely difficult. And it is something that whether we like it or not, was brought here because of humans. And since we're the ones that brought it over and they're causing harm, which the definition of an invasive is a non-native plant that causes harm. Um, but once it is an invasive plant or we decide that it has those qualities, we are responsible for getting rid of it because it is causing harm to the native ecosystems. I don't know what else to say. I mean, we brought it in, we got to take it out. Yeah. That's our job. Exactly. So on your site visits that you mentioned for homeowners, what do you see most often and what kind of advice do you give to those homeowners? I see honeysuckle all day, every day, but pretty much every single site visit I've been on because I would argue that's the most widespread invasive in this area. Um, and a lot of the advice I give, especially in my management plans, is how to control it with the smallest impact to the environment possible. I like to recommend cut stump treatment because you're using a relatively small amount of herbicide to kill it. And you're just cutting it and treating the stump so there's no foliar it's unlikely that you will have any like collateral damage yeah collateral damage and anything non-target um but yeah i try to give people first of all the cheapest option so or i said the most cost effective option and something that's super effective in general to kill things but yeah honeysuckle i get that one a lot all the time mm -hmm. i'm adding a link in the show notes to a super helpful indiana general chemical control recommendations calendar from sikkim that's the state of indiana cooperative invasives management it lists species treatment type a calendar of control and recommendations for the type of herbicide it's a great resource check it out do you mostly get calls from people in like urban settings or are they more rural like what are what are your site visits typically like where like where are they anywhere in the county right right so anybody in the county can have a site visit done it doesn't matter if you're urban or rural but i mostly do rural site visits because most people have big woodlots that they want me to check out and there's a lot in there that it's just so overwhelming. They need a second opinion. Um, so mostly rural, but there are some, I've been on a couple urban visits where it's just a couple of, this is in my landscaping. I don't know what it is, but it's taken over. And yeah, that's invasive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah. I have a friend who's dealing with um, not weed, like that's growing right by their house. Like, so that's a big 
That's really bad. Big problem. And then it's also their next door neighbor's house, which is very close. They live in the city. So they're treating theirs, but the next door neighbor neighbor is a rental house. And so it's hard to get the landlord to buy into that. So I think she's just decided this summer to treat both so that she doesn't keep getting it in her property. Yeah, I respect that. I really don't like knotweed. I have never treated it myself, but I've had people, I've had a lot of emails about it. And one in particular that was also, there's knotweed growing right next to the foundation of my house. And I'm worried it's gonna cause damage and it can. So that one is very difficult, especially to kill because it's stubborn. Yeah, she's really worried about that. Any more more invasive plants that you're just really hyped to talk about? Read canary grass. That that one just sucks. It's a grass. Grasses are hard. Pretty much guaranteed that you have to do foliar spray. You might have to mow it, let it grow, and then spray. But that one's very complicated, and I see it a lot, especially in ditches and floodplains. I have a vendetta against reed canary grass. Nice. I like that. You've got a lot of upcoming work days scheduled. Tell us about that invasive we're going to be ripping out of the earth. It's garlic mustard season. Garlic mustard is an herbaceous plant, and it is one of the first things to come up in spring. So just like honeysuckle, it's easy to see, and you can tell it apart from other plants because if you crush one of the scallop-shaped leaves... It smells like garlic, hence the name. It is a very invasive plant. Some of these individual plants can produce as much as, well, hundreds of seed per plant. And once it's in the seed bank, it takes about 10 years to flush it out. So you really want to get on it, which is why I have a bunch of work days set up so we can knock it back and hopefully get that under control. But that one I really don't like because it competes with our native spring ephemerals, our beautiful spring flowers that are some of the first things you see. And instead you're getting garlic mustard, Mm -hmm. which has no benefit really. Um, And I think there's even a native butterfly that its host plant is mustard, native mustard, but it is choosing garlic mustard instead and that is not working out very well for it yeah i've heard of that yeah so it's decimating that species that butterfly is called the west virginia white it's a delicate and rare spring flying butterfly that's native to our region the most serious of several threats that garlic mustard poses to these butterflies is when it acts as a toxic decoy garlic mustard is in the mustard family the same family of plants that contains the butterfly's preferred plant. Butterflies can become confused and lay their eggs on the garlic mustard. The chemistry of the garlic mustard is different enough from their preferred host plant that their caterpillars always die. Garlic mustard also affects the West Virginia white by displacing its host plants and its nectar sources. Even though garlic mustard itself is a good source of nectar, it does not bloom when the butterflies first emerge in mid-April. The butterflies require diverse, abundant wildflowers with staggered blooming times to provide nectar throughout the month-long period when they fly. This is the portion of the podcast where we learn a bit about our guests outside of their profession. Jordan shares her deep love of the woods, 
Swedish metal bands, and her pets. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. So you're a Purdue grad. Yes. Boiler up. Can you share some of your favorite experiences from your time at Purdue? My time at Purdue was very confusing at first. When Jordan first started at Purdue, she went into industrial design because she wanted to make toys for kids. She thinks the toys we have today are disposable and could be way more interesting. But I think we should have stuff that really stimulates a child's mind. Wow. Yeah. Like a Barbie dream house with a toilet that makes the flush noise. That's the coolest thing ever. That is cool. And I want a washing machine in that dream house because everybody needs one. Yeah. Let's get more realistic with it. I like that. Yeah. But I wanted to make toys at first, and then I decided I'll never get a job in that. So I took accounting classes. For real? Yes. Um, because I thought, what, what is there to life but making money and dying? Wow. Okay. <laughs> and then I realized, boy, that was a stupid idea. I don't even like that. I hate math. Yeah. Um, the class was just, it's a very good class. The professor was great. And I learned a lot. But I also learned that I hate it. <laughs> so I was just talking to my mom one day we were walking on campus because my parents work at Purdue and I was saying you know I did a paper in high school on solar panels and renewable energy and I thought that was super cool so why don't I try doing something in natural resources yes and I did and here I am because that was eye-opening it was so much fun the classes were really good i loved botany mostly because i knew the professors in there and yeah they were awesome that was probably my sophomore or junior year i can't really remember that i actually got into this field and yeah i highly recommend the nres program at purdue it's very good and it's growing Um, Also, Environmental Science Club. It's a super awesome club. You can go on hikes and do lots of other fun things. Okay, so you got got two beloved pets. Three. Three? Oh, what? Two indoor. And then we have a cat that lives outside, unfortunately. He's very old, though, so I don't think he's decimating our songbird population. Okay, that's good. Just the chipmunks, which is really sad. Yeah. Yeah, the outdoor cat, his name is Ashes, and he's a jerk. He doesn't really <laughs> let me pet him. It's kind of more like a feed him, and he lounges about or heads into the woods. But, yeah, whatever. He's there. I don't I don't really care. But the two indoor pets that we have, there's my dog, Luna. She's a Havanese, and she's the love of my life, the light of my life. Um... We actually have separation anxiety from each other. Yes. Wow. Well, me, not so much. Okay. Her is kind of, yeah. It's really just her (laughs) because (laughs) she doesn't know I'm coming back after work. And it's scary. Oh, wow. Which I understand. And 
she's going to have to go to the vet very soon to get spayed. And I cannot fathom leaving her alone. She's probably going to scream the whole time. But it'll be fine. I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) She's my little cuddle buddy. She loves cuddles and giving kisses. And then the cat, we call her Karis. Well, that's the name I came up with because that's like the Greek goddess or demigoddess of violent death. And I feel like that's fitting. I love that. Because she's very mean too. Um, she showed up in December to our house. She, she was free. Um, she was just kind of hanging out in our garage, a teeny little kitty cat. And we couldn't understand how she survived for that long because we live in the middle of the woods. By some miracle, she did not die, even though she was bit in the head by something at some point. One of your hobbies is spending time in the woods. Say more about that. When I am in the woods, I am at peace because I don't like people and usually there's no people in the woods except for me. So it's very quiet and I can just sit there. Um, I might hear planes or something, but usually it's very quiet and I feel like this is what it should be. This is what a lot of places should be, especially habitat that was historically woods. Um, It should be quiet. And since I've done so much work on the property, clearing out invasives. We have a lot of natives coming back in. So I like to sit at the top of the ravine and just look at all the natives. Like this is what it was probably hundreds of years ago, or at least before the white man came. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely before colonization. (laughs) Yeah. So you also enjoy taking photos of plants. Yes, I love taking photos of everything that I can find, something new. I love finding things that are new that I haven't found before. So I take lots of pictures of my plants and I try to key them out to see exactly what species are present in the woods and I guess what that tells me about them. So if I find a plant that is really intolerant of disturbance or invasives or anything else, then I know I'm doing a good job. And that's some healthy woods. So Nice. And you spend a lot of time thinking about plants? I do, yes. Plants are my life. My dog is half of my life. And then plants are the other half. So I just love thinking about plants because, because I do, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it's just nice to think about plants. I don't know how to explain this. I I feel the same (laughs) way. I love thinking about plants. I love reading about plants. I love looking at plants. Do you feel like this was something that you have always, um, like you've always had this love of plants or was this something that developed like later after you kind of found your way at Purdue? In part, I think it developed later. Um, My parents are weed scientists, so I've always had a relationship with plants, whether they be weeds or, you know, row crops, which that's not super fun, but it's still plants. Um, But definitely later at Purdue, 
and when I took my internship with Niches Land Trust. Um, super awesome. You should donate, become a member. If you do the garlic mustard polls, you get a free t-shirt. You have to sign up for two shifts. Um, and that's another San Cody thing. So yeah, I love him. He's very awesome. Um, but with niches, it was a lot of stewardship work and I had such a good teacher, I guess. Um, Justin, Justin Harmison, who I could probably plant at any plant and he could tell me something about it. But that guy's a genius and I owe a lot to him because that's kind of how my interest in plants developed when I realized that there's so many different things out there. Wow. Justin. Yes. Got to get him on the pod. Well, a shout out to Justin too, because he's super awesome. He did the Indiana Native Plant Society talk last month and it was really good. He talked about his uh, role in being a land steward at niches and it was just really amazing. Yeah. Seems like he really loves his job. Yeah. Which is important. Um, another fun fact I learned about you is that um, your favorite music genre is metal. Yeah. Do you, um, do you have any favorite, like, bands? At the moment, I'm super into Avatar, which is, like, a Swedish metal band, I think. A lot of metal bands are Swedish, I feel like. Nice. Yeah, but... They just put out a new album, well, not super recently, but like last year. And I really like it. I think it's super good. Um, I couldn't tell you why. I don't know. Guitar, drum, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you get into metal? My dad. Nice. Kind of indirectly. But when he picked us up from school, sometimes on rare occasions <laughs> when he had to, he would have the radio turn to something that's playing Metallica or Motley Crue. Nice. Um, and Nickelback. I think Nickelback is very controversial. Yes. People, there's a lot of hatred for them. Mm -hmm. They have some good songs, but yeah. But yeah, my dad, he nice. introduced me to the genre and I just kind of, went on Spotify and I figured everything else out by myself and yeah. Excellent. Spotify is a great tool to find new music. It is. This is not an advertisement. This is not an ad, but shout out to Spotify for hosting Spotify for podcasters, the tool we use to create this podcast. Back to the interview. What keeps you up at night? Nothing really. Nice. I, I sleep like a baby. Excellent. Yeah, once I'm out, I'm out. There could be an earthquake and I'd probably just die under the rubble. Wow, that's yeah. beautiful. I love that for you. Thank you. What is the last thing you Googled? Let me check my history. Oh, Dairy Queen, free cone day. When is that? That was yesterday. Uh Yeah. Dan from Celery Bog told me before we left, and I was, I don't believe this, so I Googled it. Did you get a free cone? I did. Nice. It's true. You do get a free, they're smaller than regular. Okay. I understand that. That makes but sense. But it's still free ice cream. 
Can you get a dip cone or is it just like a regular? I think it's just a regular vanilla cone. Okay. But yeah, free cone day is the first day of spring every year. That's, I did not know that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Dan should have announced that to all of us there. I thought about it, but that's okay. then I forgot. Next year. I'm putting it on my calendar. Yes, I'm very sorry. No, that's okay. It's not your fault. I blame Dan. Is there anything else you think I should have asked you or anything else you want to talk about? I guess I consider myself a plant purist. Okay, tell us about that. So, not all people will be like this, but... I'm very set in my ways of not introducing new seed to my property at the moment because I'd like to compile all the species I have, um, which might be, you know, some that were brought there by humans. But I really want to know what I have in the first place to see if it kind of matches up with what it should be. And then I collect seed from the plants on my property. So I have a little seed library and it makes me happy. But that's awesome. I like to play with the genetics of my plants. What are your favorite plants on your property? Oh, that's difficult. I really like Dutchman's breeches because They're little pants. They're little white pants. Really adorable. Yeah. I'd wear them if I could. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But those are super cute. And I really like Solomon's seal. Yes. I've collected seed from that just for funsies. I don't think it's going to grow anything. I'm not necessarily going to try to grow anything. But I just like looking at it. I like round seeds. Like from Ramp. Um, the allium species. Mm-hmm. I yeah. like to put them in a little container and shake it. They are nice. Because it's nice to shake it. It yeah. just sounds nice and it feels nice. And I think more people should do that. Yes. Because it's therapeutic. Just yeah. a little seed shake. Yeah, a little seed shake. To reset. You just got to reset sometimes, you know? Yes. That's beautiful. Go sit at the top of the ravine and shake some seed. Oh, yes. <laughs> your evening plans (laughs) awesome well thanks a million for agreeing to come on to the podcast thank you for having me it was great i loved it a plus now that you're fired up to remove any invasive plant you come across in our next episode angie garcia miller rural conservationist at tippecanoe county soil and water conservation district We'll share about the amazing native plants you can put in their place, the benefits they provide to ecosystems, and the third annual Native Plant Fest. What native plant questions do you have for Angie? This podcast is produced by me, Amanda Estes, stormwater educator for the TCPWQ. Special thanks to Scott Allersmeyer for the excellent recording setup, Jimmy Katrin for the hype and encouragement, and Austin Wiesler for coming up with the podcast name and slogan. Rain drains bioswales. Whether it's clean, green, or flows downstream, we talk about it. If you have questions, suggestions, or want to learn more, visit us at tcpwq.org or call 765 
807-1817. You can also find us on Facebook at TCPWQ and at Tippecanoe Water on Twitter. If you made it this far, I'm treating you with a blooper reel. Thanks for listening and enjoy. It might be like how she humps my leg. It's a love hump. <laughs> it's definitely not dominance <laughs> at all. But, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Cookies, Mexican food, plants, free t-shirt. Hell yeah. This is not an advertisement, but we are using podcasters for, like, Spotify for, for you know what I'm saying, <laughs> Spotify for podcasters. So shout out to them to, for this cool uh, website they have.